Hello, and welcome to another PDI podcast. I'm your host, Mark Oliver Wright, Clinical Science Liaison for the Central Region. This podcast is the second of a two-part series on the roles and interrelationship between environmental services and infection prevention in healthcare today. Ms. Odette Periel, MS, CHESP, is the Vice President of Patient Care Support Services at Maine Medical Center in Portland, Maine, the largest of 13 hospitals within the Maine Health System. Before her transition to healthcare, Odette worked for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company for over 13 years in multiple leadership roles across the Americas and the Caribbean. Ms. Periel is a member of the American College for Healthcare Executives and the Association for the Healthcare Environment. Dr. Bill Rotala, PhD, MPH, CIC, is the director and co-founder of the statewide program for infection control and epidemiology and a professor for the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of North Carolina's School of Medicine. He formerly served as the director of hospital epidemiology, occupational health, and safety program at the University of North Carolina Hospitals. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Sorry, go ahead, Dr. Rotella. I was just going to say good afternoon, everyone. Yes, good afternoon as well. And thank you again, Dr. Rotella, for doing this uh, with us. Um, the last session we did was truly a masterclass, and this one I am sure will be another masterclass. For all the ES leaders out there, all the environmental services leaders out there, I hope you have your pen and paper ready because I am sure you will learn a lot from what Dr. Rotala has to say that will help you as a leader with your leadership acumen and to just help you with building stronger environmental services departments and making sure that you and your team are prepared. So Dr. Rotala, we've been thrown in the midst of a pandemic. We couldn't do another session without actually talking about the pandemic and um, just saying uh, what are the things that you from an infection preventionist would uh, like to share with ES leaders across the US and internationally. So my first question for you is, if you were in charge of the environmental services department, what would be your strategy to keep your facility safe? Well, thank you, Odette. And certainly, uh, as you know, uh, the environmental services team members are extremely important to the infection prevention program at, at every hospital in the United States, as they, of course, keep patients safe by preventing healthcare-associated infections. As far as uh, the strategy uh, is concerned, uh, I would certainly uh, develop and implement a non-critical surface disinfection bundle, including no-touch room decontamination technology. Now, as you know, a bundle is a set of evidence-based practices, generally three to five, that when performed collectively and reliably have been proven to improve patient outcomes. The science of the bundle are not new as they are generally well-established, but they are not performed unfailingly. So essentially a bundle ties the science-based interventions together in a package that providers, 
no must be followed uniformly and completely for maximal patient benefit. So I'm going to talk about the five components, the five components to essentially provide a safe facility. And I'm going to mention the five components that are part of this bundle. And then I'm going to talk about each of them very, very briefly. The five components that I would include in my bundle to essentially would be my strategy to keep a facility safe, including creating policies and procedures. The second would be selecting a cleaning and disinfecting product. The third would be educating staff. The fourth would be monitoring compliance to ensure thoroughness of cleaning. And the fifth would be implementing a no-touch room decontamination technology. Let's say a few words about those five strategies, those five components, essentially to develop this strategy to keep a facility safe. As far as creating policies and procedures, as you know, all hospitals have infection prevention policies and practices, and those policies and practices, are, of course, are what guides us in what we do. So we have to standardize the cleaning and disinfection practices as it pertains to patient rooms and pieces of equipment throughout the hospital. As you know, cleaning and disinfection has to be done effectively, completely, and of course it has to account for differences in room layouts, equipment, and patient risk. In addition to having this standardized cleaning and disinfection policy, the policy has to, of course, have certain components. That is, it has to identify how frequently the touchable hand contact surfaces are wiped. So there should be something in there about disinfecting those surfaces daily when spills occur and when surfaces are visibly soiled. Of course, all non-critical medical devices have to be disinfected daily and when soiled as well. Of course, there has to be something in there about floor maintenance and Essentially, at UNC hospitals, we damped. Uh, we, of course, did damp mop uh, cleaning of the floors with a disinfectant detergent. And the other thing that I think we have to keep in mind is very commonly hospitals have ready-to-use products and very commonly use impregnated disinfectant wipes. But in the cases where you have to make your disinfectant, we have to document the correct concentration. So it's because studies have shown that when you use these automated disinfectant dispensers, they provide varying amounts of the disinfectant. So essentially, the first part is creating policies and procedures and practices that ensure that the surfaces are thoroughly uh, wiped and all surfaces are wiped at a frequency, and generally that frequency is daily. Of course, when uh, spills occur, and of course, when there's visible contamination. Now, the second part of my bundle is a pervious selection of cleaning disinfecting products. Now, we have all talked about uh, the ideal disinfectant. As we know, every product has advantages and disadvantages. There's nothing that is perfect. There is no ideal. But we have to consider the components of an ideal disinfectant. We have to consider things such as raw antimicrobial spectrum. So they would kill a the common healthcare associated pathogens they would be fast acting they would not be affected by environmental factors the disinfectant would be non-toxic and it would surf, be surface compatible 
the disinfectant should be easy to use and have an acceptable odor. And of course, ideally wet long enough to meet the kill times associated with the disinfectant. So that's the second component, uh, selecting a cleaning and disinfectant product. The third component, also very important, is educating the staff. Edu educating the staff to include environmental surfaces, services, uh, patient equipment uh, staff, and nursing regarding appropriate practices. And we have to provide accessible training materials, accessible training materials that account for liter literacy and language barriers. Additionally, we have to assist them by creating checklists to guide effective cleaning and disinfection. So that's the third component, educating staff. The fourth component of my bundle is monitoring compliance. Uh, we have to monitor compliance because thoroughness of cleaning is so very important. And of course, we monitor compliance by various uh, methods to include uh, fluorescent markers that assesses the variation and deficiencies in practice that may be corrected and improved by feedback. And of course, feedback allows us an opportunity to retrain and address weaknesses discovered during routine auditing. And the fourth part of my five-part bundle is essentially implementing a no-touch room decontamination technology, such as UVC or vaporized hydrogen peroxide, ensure that technology uh, is used for patient rooms on contact and enteric precautions. So the strategy that I would use to essentially provide a safe environment for patients, of course, visitors and healthcare providers, is really this bundle. And I would ensure that this bundle, which has five parts, creating policies and procedures, appropriate selection of the cleaning and disinfecting product, educating staff, monitoring compliance, and implementing a no-touch room decontamination technology, ensure that all five components are done uniformly and completely for maximal patient benefit. Dr. Otala, though that's definitely what we call pearls of wisdom. ES leaders, I hope you're hearing that. That was a class on Bundles 101 for ES effectiveness as it relates to infection prevention, policy and procedure, cleaning and disinfecting products, education of your staff, monitoring compliance, and no-touch technology. Thank you, Dr. Rotella. The second question I have today focuses around um, the pandemic. From all the pandemics you've been involved in, what would you say are your top five takeaways? Well, this is a, a very important question. Uh, and uh, fortunately, uh, we haven't had uh, too many of these worldwide epidemics or pandemics. In uh, certainly my 41 years of professional life and in infection prevention, the COVID pandemic has by far been the most impactful on US healthcare and has had, as you know, dire economic uh, ramifications or consequences. The first takeaway I would uh, provide to you is the, the takeaway that I'm sure you all appreciate, and that is basic infection prevention prevents all healthcare pathogens, including the SARS-CoV-2. That is, 
it is a horizontal control practice that can be used to prevent all pathogens, not only SARS-CoV-2, but other epidemiologically important pathogens, such as CRE and Clostridium difficile, and MRSA and Canada Aris. So it is a, these are horizontal control measures, very important uh, takeaway, they work. And of course, what we're talking about are things such as hand hygiene, personal protective equipment, such as masks, disinfection of non-critical surfaces and physical distances. We have seen them work for other important pathogens, but certainly we have seen them work for SARS-CoV-2. So these horizontal control measures prevent all epidemiologically important pathogens and certainly have assisted us in preventing transmission of SARS-CoV-2. The other takeaways are we have had successes and did remarkably well in many areas to include implementation of fundamental infection prevention practices, but certainly, as you know, there has been missteps and areas to improve. So I'm gonna mention, as I'm sure all of you could, a few successes and then mention a few opportunities for improvement. I think one success is the pandemic requires flexibility. As you know, knowledge is rapidly evolving and changes are necessary, but there has been no silver bullet approach. There's been a torrent of COVID science with over 100,000 articles on the pandemic in 2020 alone. So we have been fortunate that we have had science improvements during the course of the epidemic, which has allowed us to have adjustments in practices as needed. In fact, the SARS-CoV-2 pathogen and the COVID pandemic has accounted for about 4% of the world's research output. But there, I think, are other related successes. I think we, many of us think science uh, does not always move quickly and it moves slowly. But in this case, I think we have seen that people collaborate and when scientists collaborate, it moves quickly as demonstrated by things such as vaccine development, disinfectant and activation data on the SARS-CoV-2, aerosol studies, how the SARS-CoV-2 or the pandemic COVID spreads, and who is at greatest risk of infection, as well as the presence or the absence of the virus on surfaces, and essentially the epidemiology of disease. So I think that's a success. Although science doesn't move as quickly as we would like in this case, I think it has moved quite quickly and it has given us a great deal of information that has allowed us to be a little bit flexible in some of the infection prevention strategies that we have implemented. I think one more success I'd like to mention before talking about some of the opportunities for improvement is essentially science and technology is making things possible that would not have been possible a decade ago, or at least making them easier. For employees, uh, they've been able to work at home. I've been working at home uh, much of the uh, epidemic. Uh, technology, such as email and cloud computing, 
and um, video conferencing has helped all that to be possible. And certainly, as all of you realize, science has facilitated the vaccine development with the messenger RNA vaccines and the COVID detection tests using polymerase chain reaction technology. So they would be the successes. I think uh, the pandemic has certainly made us aware of certain uh, opportunities for improvement. And certainly all of us understand that one of the opportunities for improvement is the availability of PPE or personal protective equipment. The supply chains are a weak link, as you know, and some of the materials that have been needed, such as uh, PPE or personal protective equipment and swabs, came from countries that were devastated by the pandemic. And U.S. companies could not scale up quickly enough. And this required, this will require in the future uh, domestic sourcing of things such as masks and gowns and drugs to make the supply more resilient. I think another opportunity for improvement is the lack of effective diagnostic tests early in the pandemic, which of course contributed to the failure to know who was infected and failure to identify who was infected and of course identify the number of cases in our country. And then I think the last and maybe the most disappointing um, um, opportunity is the disconnect between science and practice. We have known for decades how to prevent many healthcare associated infections, and we know that we know how to prevent SARS-CoV-2. We know the practices that we've talked about, such as hand hygiene, personal protective equipment, such as masks, disinfection and physical distances, distancing work. But we also know that many persons have failed to implement these proven infection prevention measures, uh, even in the absence of overwhelming data on benefit. So I think we've learned a lot, Odette, in the last uh, year. Uh, we have learned that uh, the, the basic principles of infection prevention work. Of course, they are horizontal control measures. They work in preventing all uh, healthcare pathogens. But we've also learned that uh, we have uh, an opportunity to improve uh, many of the things that have become aware to us uh, in the past uh, 12 months. Uh, well said, Dr. Rotala. I, I completely agree with you on that assessment. And I think a lot of the leaders out there are looking on and they're shaking their heads and saying, totally agree. Um, I would definitely challenge um, the leaders out there to also examine, use this question to examine for their areas, uh, what are their takeaways? Um, as you talked about um, the ability to be flexible, how flexible were they? You talked about, you know, just understanding how we have to collaborate. With, uh, in our first uh, session, you talked about collaboration between environmental services and infection prevention. Uh, this is just another example I'd say to them is, how well were they collaborating? Um, because when you, you answer this question, you did it um, at, at 30,000 feet uh, level. So I'm telling these leaders, my, uh, my thought to them is look at it from your level and see what the takeaways you have given us and how they apply for them. I think very important, Odette. Thank you. I would say um, 
In light of the past year and the continual emergence of new pathogens, what gives you hope? Well, I think there's a, a few things that give me hose, hope. First, um, uh, science. Um, I trust science and I know things will be better directly or indirectly because of science. And for my professional life, I have tried to implement infection prevention strategies based upon science, because I think, you know, we all have opinions, but science is more dependable than our opinions. And I think all of our practices should be science-based. And in regard to that, uh, I think uh, the first point that we've already alluded to is we've learned the importance, the criticality and universality of the basic infection prevention practices that they remain effective even in the presence of this pathogen, which has caused a worldwide epidemic. The basic principles, again, have been reinforced to include hand hygiene, mask and other PPE as appropriate, physical distancing and disinfection. So that's the first thing. The second is we continue to learn about the optimal utilization of our infection prevention practices. And now we have the COVID vaccines. As you know, the COVID vaccines have been shown to be very effective and we have not seen reports of any major effects of the vaccines as far as adverse events. The vaccines will prevent you and me from getting COVID and of course should be taken taken uh, when our opportunity to receive the vaccine is available to us. The other thing that I would mention regard, uh, regarding this is, as I think most realize, we have a layered approach to infection prevention. We don't just do one thing. We essentially put one layer on another layer on another layer to prevent transmission of healthcare pathogens. And we need to do that, of course, for COVID. Of course, one of the layers is continuing to have COVID testing. And then another layer is having an effective and safe vaccine. And then another layer is essentially utilizing effective infection prevention strategies that have been demonstrated to work over decades of utilization. And we've already talked about these strategies, and of course you know them to include masking and physical distancing and hand hygiene and disinfection. So I think we're very, uh, we're blessed by having the, the science that we do have, and, and certainly now the vaccine, unfortunately, is not yet available to all, but soon it will be, I hope. But all of these practices work together and all must be used, not just one. So we can't depend on just COVID testing or we can't depend on only an effective and safe vaccine, or we can't depend on only hand hygiene. All these practices must be uh, used uh, together uh, and, and we have them and implementing them successfully gives me hope. I think the last thing that I'll mention, uh, and this gives me hope in general, is that I believe we're getting closer to instituting practices that prevent 
all infectious disease transmission associated with the environment. And again, this will be a layered approach. So I have hope because I uh, certainly believe in science and evidence-based practices and implementation of science and evidence-based practices. And I think we're developing a great deal of science that will help us prevent all infections associated with the environment in future years. Dr. Atala, there's nothing else I could add to what you just said other than to say thank you for yet another masterclass. Thank you very much, Odette. It was a pleasure. Same here. Thank you both for sharing your experience and expertise with our audience. This has been a PDI podcast. Thank you for joining us and for all that you do as you continue to be the difference.